0: Hi everyone and welcome to Cooking Goals. You're listening to The Cooks. And here we talk to motivated people who are actually doing something, following their passion, how they got to where they are and their goals for the future. The aim of this podcast is to inspire people to create goals for themselves, to push towards and surpass them. Whether it be small goals like running a four-minute kilometer or big goals like owning a home, I want this space to be somewhere people can come for inspiration, to listen in on a great conversation, hopefully learn something and in the process create goals for the future. Today we talked to Annette Hook or Hoek as some pronounce it so who is a food and health consumer science consultant Annette has completed a PhD in sensory consumer research and eating behaviour and spends her time now as self-employed plus inside academia as well in projects focused around innovation and nutrition and health policy How are you today Annette?
1: Very good thanks Nathan and thanks for having me
0: on the podcast no worries it's been uh it's been a long time coming with um I guess calendar invitations and and back and forth with uh interruptions but I'm glad we could have some time this afternoon so thank you
1: absolutely I look forward to the
0: conversation yeah it's been a long time as I just mentioned before off air that I've recorded a, a cook and goals episode and so I have two in the next five days, which is quite exciting for me and and it's it's a pleasure to have you here this afternoon so I like to the start these shows really explaining to the listeners, you know, how we connected or how we met. So, I I guess my first memory is I think I've connected with you on, on LinkedIn previously, um, seeing your, your um, I guess involvement with Mark's PhD uh, as a, um, a supervisor. And I, uh, for those who listen to the show, Mark's been on the HDR Bruce show previously, who also looks at food waste in the household, and he's now finished his PhD which is fantastic Uh, and he's also an avid runner as well which is great and so I think I was at one of his seminars and I recognized you and I I kind of made the connection and did a bit of a bit of diving in to see how you guys were connected Um, is that how you kind of remember our connection going forward yeah got a good
1: memory Nathan yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the beauty of LinkedIn, isn't it? Like, uh, you can uh, watch a little bit what everyone is doing and some posts to send out to you. I think I also noticed you on, uh, on Twitter as well. And, um, yeah, it's funny how the, um, um, the food waste, uh, research and I do more than, you know, food waste, but mm. it's definitely one of my interests, but yeah, it's, um, you get to know the faces and the names, and then it's really nice to to connect, like with you, and and continue the conversation.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That's great, yeah. And Twitter is something that's um something that I was not particularly interested in, you know, before academia. But it's a fantastic tool, and something that you can get quite a lot of traction on. Uh, particularly, same as LinkedIn. I think when you establish yourself in a space or a person who can, uh, really, I guess, resonate or learn something from your posts, they they kind of keep an eye out. So it's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, I noticed that Twitter. Um, I moved more to LinkedIn now because I, I guess it gives you a bit more space uh, to write a little bit more. But uh, yeah, both are very, very useful networks, and I, I always uh, encourage encourage people who are still in academia or doing their PhD to to use it wisely and to their advantage
0: yeah that's right because you know more people can find you and you can also find more people so it's a it's a it goes a two-way street
1: absolutely
0: now i haven't actually written this question down but it's just occurred to me and obviously i can and perhaps the listeners can also detect an accent in, in, in your voice <laughs> and that and can i can i just explore you know perhaps where where your background is from
1: yeah definitely um that's from the Netherlands. So that's a really strong Dutch accent. I hope your listeners are, are, are able to follow the conversation. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's sticking with me. I can't get rid of it. We're in Australia now. For, so we moved to Australia 2011 um, from the Netherlands. I landed a job at University of South Australia at the time uh, as a lecturer um, in the food science and nutrition program. Um yeah, the idea was originally to just stay for three years in Australia, but <laughs> we're still here. So uh, that's where I'm
0: from. That's fantastic. And there was actually a keynote speaker last week at um, the Food Waste Conference. I can't remember his name, uh, but he was from the Netherlands and he was saying how much uh, stuff the Netherlands are doing in that space in terms of you know government policy and um, really striving towards those Development goals in there and I think, I think it's more so even the household measurement that's is getting quite a lot of traction over there So um, it's a place that I endeavor to visit um, and also could possibly do some Maybe professional touring over there to try and understand that problem a bit further Yeah, no, I guess
1: you're referring to
0: Tuan. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. 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 know
1: yeah, he's doing great stuff Look, it's it's always interesting when you leave your country and and um, you start to actually re- realize the position they take, you know, from your own know, personal relationship, but also in a professional sense. And I think while I was in the Netherlands, um, I did my PhD at Wageningen University, which is the leading university in nutrition and food sciences globally. Um, you know, that's just what you're used to, so mm. you don't. Even see it you don't see all the, the great initiatives
0: um, you know that are happening.
1: you don't see them as, as special or um, outstanding. but um, yeah it's really interesting to watch the Netherlands continue that development from Australia. Uh, and and uh, yeah to be inspired by it uh, as you may have seen in my posts but mm. also to, to see what we can bring from those good um, innovations from the Netherlands but I think also more Western Europe more broadly to Australia as well
0: yeah Tuan said there's. I think the, my, one of his common things that he mentioned were that there's a lot of opportunity for Australia you know we're in a good position yes. to try and not necessarily copy but make things that are uh, suitable to us, but base them off similar principles that they're using successfully in yes. Europe. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, uh, yeah, why reinvent the wheel, uh, you know, better take something that works and then make it, um, yeah, applicable to the current situation or the context, um, such as in Australia, definitely. Yeah, you should go there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, yeah. <laughs> Now, could you please tell the listeners about yourself, Annette, maybe a little summary or a background of, you know, I guess what you've done and where you are today?
1: Well, short sure, it's going to be tricky. <laughs> that's, that's fine. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, I did my PhD. Yeah, let's start with my PhD because I think that started my journey um, in nutrition. Um, well actually I need to take a step back so originally now I'm, I'm gonna start the journey with my university degrees mm-hmm. um, so I started with an industrial design degree um, and then I, I did the basics and then I moved on to biology so I have a master's in biology um, and then I became interested in nutrition. So I also have a master's in nutrition. And then I thought, well, we know what we need to eat. You know, I understand everything in the body, more the physical side, but actually one of the key challenges I see for moving forward, both in terms of health and sustainability is actually the behavioral side. Um, so I did a, um, I worked as a research um, fellow at Marketing University. And, and that's also where I completed my PhD later, uh, based on that work. Um, I, in the Netherlands, I worked in various uh, capacities, um, mainly for industry. So after I finished at Wageningen University, um, I worked in companies such as Danone as a consumer insight manager um, but I also worked as a uh, research consultant and I really learned the consultancy skills there um, as a sensory and consumer science consultant. Um, I also worked for, food industry, uh, for the Food Industry Association being involved with um, food labeling and public health initiatives. Um, what else? I think around that time, yeah, I was considering, I fell in love with the with Australia during travel and uh, I was keen to get here. Um, So that's where we started here. I just mentioned earlier to you that I um, landed the job as a lecturer at UniSA. And I think, so in the Netherlands, I was very focused on industry after the Wageningen University uh, experience. And here, I basically relaunched um, academic work at UniSA. Um, After that, I worked um, for a ASC project, the University of Canberra, ANU and Deakin University. Then I worked as a consultant again, so I went back and forth. Um, I probably missed something, I joined Behaviour uh, Australia, so Mark is also a former colleague, and after that I joined uh, the George Institute for Global Health, and in between most of those commi- those arrangements were um, part-time, so I tried to continue to do some consulting um, next to the academic work. Um, always one leg in the academic world and the other in the, in the industry or applied settings and a couple of years ago i decided to join um the freelance consulting life again so Mm. and i think i missed a few posts but this is a short summary it's a summary it's a story of being in industry being academia going back and forth and you know also at times being in both worlds at the same time Mm. um and that's really where my passion lies so that's um to issues for good basically
0: yeah thank you so much for sharing yeah I really think that even from my uh, you know lim- I would have zero you know industry experience but inside of my t- two years as a PhD candidate you can see the uh, the, the connection that is so essential for industry uh, partnerships with universities and vice versa you know universities yeah. have ideas um, and industry has money and even vice versa, you know, university might get grants and then they can reach out to industry and say, what can we, you know, do or fix to you? And I think something that I obviously love doing as part of being a student is, you know, publishing your work and getting your name out there, but it's not important necessarily to be in paper, sorry, to be in a journal. It's more so the outcome of that research. And that's where that industry connection comes in. Like what's the purpose of um, putting something in a journal Uh, Whereas, it may be read by other scientists, which is fantastic, but progressing that work to something which is tangible, sellable, physical, or also, uh, you know, learning. And that's part of that behaviour stuff that that I'm sure you did with Mark as well. So, um, I'm glad that I've spent my time talking to the right people to understand that relationship. And I think I'll learn a bit more today as well. So, thank you for sharing. Yeah, spot on.
1: It's all about impact. That's how I see it. And... Mm. um, you know research shouldn't sit in a drawer or in a paper it should yeah that, that's my vision at least it should be applied for good mm. and uh, in essence that's and so when i talk about industry I, I mean that in a broader sense so mm. not only companies or manufacturers but also uh, communities NGOs, government organizations in the end of the day someone needs to do something with that research mm. yeah so i encourage you to continue that
0: journey as well and how does it differ from you know a day in the academic life to a day in consultancy um what what are some of the key things that uh, perhaps the listeners might not understand
1: (laughs) well first of all is the pace (laughs) so um as you can imagine uh Well, let me flip it, and I I think you were referring to that also in a previous podcast, you know, in in academia, particularly in the early days of your PhD, you've got time to think and, you know, lay the land and think of theories, Um, you know, while in applied settings, often it's very solution-driven and the solution or the action should have been done yesterday. Um, So there's, there's a different pace to it. Um, There's a different language in terms of the terms we use. Um, um, There's a different way of dealing with evidence, and um, uh, your listeners that are researchers and academic researchers, like, you know, the holy grail of having a double blind control randomized trial is something that we aspire to maybe as academic researchers, but, you know, often in the applied setting, that evidence is almost over the top or not always achievable and evidence can also be something um, you know as a literature outcome or even in worst case scenario a headline in the in the newspaper um, so evidence it might be treated differently and, and the sectors that I worked in um, are very most of the time very people focused and outcome focused and impact focused and um that's something that maybe could be improved in an academic setting um really focusing on the societal impact so the worlds are slightly different between us two definitely
0: mm. and have you found it to be you know i guess an internal battle or you've you've more so chased what was needed at the time to do oh, your I love job this question yeah
1: yeah it has been an internal uh, battle um uh, definitely, for me as a professional, because those two worlds are so separate, so different, uh, with different goals. And I think we're moving now towards a space that the goals become more aligned. But I had, you know, a serious identity crisis. And and, and I guess you can see that throughout my career, you know, wanting to identify, um, as an academic and chasing the academic um, goals, which is mainly papers and grants at the moment. Um, and also aspiring to a career in, in the industry which is more about management achievements, impacts um, in a commercial setting. It's, you know, it's about sales or big projects um, and I've been back and forth, so definitely a conflict there, and I've now luckily reached the time in my life that I can see I'm, I'm the person in the middle, and this is where I can make a difference by connecting uh, both of those worlds. Um, but yeah, that, <laughs> that was via a couple of identity crises, and uh, yeah, definitely, and now I'm actually proud where I am and that I can make a difference, yeah very
0: different well it's nice to hear that um, you know you eventually landed on on your feet where you, you want to be and so that's that's exciting for you. obviously for yourself you know to realise like this is where I want to be and and why and, and what you're going to achieve with that position
1: yeah yeah, yeah and that's quite recent can you imagine so uh, I've always enjoyed the jobs I had and and um you know either way and that's that's kind of the tension um in an industry setting or applied setting, it's challenging to get the evidence and get the research quality to a certain degree. In an academic world, it's challenging and also an opportunity to be more impact-focused. Yeah, and then working towards improving both worlds has been a joy as well and it's something that yeah i, I bring to this day mm,
0: mm. now i've just thank you for sharing that was great i really appreciate that i've um i've just taken a snippet from from your website um so persons whether we call them consumers community members stakeholders eaters or patients are always central to our way of thinking alongside recent scientific findings and methods relevant to practice. Could you please explain to the listeners why it's so important to focus on individuals' behaviours, um, perhaps rather than maybe the outcome or um, the, uh, perhaps the campaign behind uh, what people are trying to achieve?
1: It's essential for success. Mm. That's my short answer. Um, And that's also what I mentioned earlier, that if we focus our efforts and attention only, of course we need both, but only on nutrition components or nutrition products or services without paying attention to the person, the people, the community that actually needs to eat or deal with foods or food waste, whatever you talk about it, it's gonna fail. So for me, it's essential to success, uh, for project success, and to make sure that that impacts. But there's also another angle to it, to that particular phrase, and thank you for copying that from the website. <laughs> I almost forgot. <laughs> but there's also, for me, it also stands for, for me as how we work, as or how we can work, or but also how I work as a professional, which is driven by human connection. Mm. Um, So that people focus is focused on, that means, that stands for the target group that we actually or the community that actually we want to serve, but it also refers to how we work together as colleagues or clients and consultants or people, just people together working for a better cause.
0: Mm. And I think even perhaps in my own learning, you know, coming into something like nutrition and dietetics, behavior was perhaps not talked about as much as us actually delivering a service and then now in my learnings have been, you know, through research, you know, behavior frameworks and, and behavior change and how it's actually kind of like, it's like the seed. It's like the, you can't get the outcomes or the, you know, the rest of the avocado or the mango, whatever you're picking, um, without that, uh, that key component. So it's, um, and it's different to all as well. Like you have those groups and you have the processes of understanding what behaviours are and stuff. Do you um did you take those learnings from your roles in the Netherlands, or you perhaps did you learn more when, when you were at Behaviour Works in a particular behaviour position? Yeah,
1: good question. Um, my PhD was in. Uh consumer sensory research and eating the behavior. So in that sense, behavior was already an understanding how people view. I think a lot of your listeners might have might have heard the words attitudes and beliefs. Um, so that's something that was essential um, part to what I did what I did at the time also for my PhD. But uh, behavior works was definitely I think behavioral science and behavior change is getting a lot more attention and traction now, and also matured as a field. It's a very young field. It's a combination of different disciplines, and that's why I think nutrition and food is so um, essential, and it's so it's such an opportunity to learn from that. Um, but yeah, I think with the increased interest for behavior change and doing that in a very scientific way um, and the combination of course working with works, but also other organizations I think generally our knowledge um, has you know tremendously expanded over the years what works there are very good frameworks out there so it has been building up and it's still building up mm. until today we're learning still what works um, and what doesn't and I think, yeah, what you mentioned there now is, um, you know, what you get as in a nutrition degree. So if you remember, my master degrees are in nutrition and in biology. There was very little behavior there. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, like yourself, you know, you're absorbing information and you're learning and you develop an interest. And uh, I think that's the beauty, also nowadays, like with the internet and stuff. When you develop an interest, some, you know in something, you can read about it or watch webinars or really develop in
0: that direction, and that's basically what I did. Mm. Yeah, because my partner, she's studying her master's of psychology, and she she can't believe that how little you know behavior stuff we look at, whereas it's kind of the whole you know food eating food is a behavior that we do every day that we may yes. not be conscious of, or um, there could be habits in there that we've or behaviors that we've developed. And had forever and how do you break those and that's what we think about when we're looking at obviously you know with your findings with mark's food waste research as well yeah yeah absolutely now if you're allowed to talk about it you know you might not have you know um you could have some secrets which we won't explore but you know what are you currently uh working on at the moment <laughs> i've got
1: i've got i've got some secrets there yeah definitely <laughs> Um, but um, I, I think I will share it uh, also in um, in line with our previous conversation. This is about the journey of learning and experiences. So I think when I decided to go back to consulting, and anyone that's considering that, that's also for me one of the key things, of course, is kind of where do you start or where do you want to focus. So I had to kind of refocus. And, uh, and I'm still going back to that first love, which is health, healthy and sustainable eating and foods. Um, I've done a lot with, uh, on meat replacements and alternative proteins, so that's definitely an area that I'm still working in. <laughs> um, and there's also more attention now with not-for-profits in using social and behavior change frameworks in a nutrition context. And that can be an emergency situation, but also preventative health. Um, so yeah, those are the areas I'm doing working at the moment. And as you may have noticed, I also enjoy writing and making sure that everything. So that's, that's more my side project, like you are doing your post- podcast as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a key focus. So any, you can imagine there's industry in that space, but there are also a lot of not-for-profits in that space. And I'm moving more to not-for-profits now and uh, not-for-profits.
0: Yeah, It'd be great to get your reflections, I guess, on, uh, on meat substitutes, you know, personally as a dietitian and a vegetarian, but also just from what you've found and what you've learned over your time exploring in this area.
1: Yeah, look, I think the first thing that I want to say about it, it's gone a long way, right? Mm. When I first started research on this topic, it was 2001. And everyone was looking at me like, what is, you know, what's this woman working on? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Like, you know, the link between environmental impact and food was, of course, we know it was there. And, you know, even in the 70s, it was a big movement. But um, it's been off the radar for a while. So when I reflect on that, it's been, yeah, when I think of meat substitutes, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's. It's, it's a long while it's kind of brewing in the background. And now we're at the moment that it's actually, it's getting out there, you know, you see a lot of startups and companies working in that space. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And the second thing I want to share here, and I, I guess that we can continue the conversation about it, but um, a lot of people um, always ask me or, you know, make a comment about, well, it shouldn't look like meat and and most of the time and not sure what you think um, as someone who's uh, um, who avoids meat completely but in the end of the day a lot of people like meat they used to meat. it fits in a certain uh, dietary pattern or you know how you cook how you eat um, and uh, Particularly for people that still eat meat, having a product that's quite similar in terms of, you know, taste, texture, but also how we use it in certain types of dishes, um, is very important. Um, and the third thing, of course, that we all know, um, is that, um, yeah, the nutritional profile uh, needs to be improved for some of those products. It's it's um, it varies widely, but that's mm. the same for meat, I would say. If you take a sausage. It's also full of
0: salt and fat, so that's pretty similar, yeah. Did you just, just for me to confirm, you said, were people saying that it shouldn't look like meat? Is that what you were saying? Or that, or that it some, should? Yeah,
1: some people, you know, when, when you say, when you work on this and um, when, when I also see some other posts on initiatives to make meat substitutes look more like meats, a lot of people ask, you know, it shouldn't look like meat, it should be separate, you know, it should have their own identities.
0: Mm.
1: But the risk if you do that is that people don't like it, don't understand
0: what it is and can't use it in the way they cook. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you because I think, uh, you know, it fits into our current culture. Um, yes. If it was, you know, you'd have to be some sort of magnificent innovator, not you, in general, but the person who ever decided to create a new food product because it would be, you can't think of what it would look like because we already know what food looks like, you know. And for something like, as a vegetarian, I actually look forward to when my partner and I may order a burger at a restaurant and I can experience what it's like to eat meat again or um, be as close, and you know, social norms, right? Like I have a meat patty on my... Burger, but it's not meat, so I can still get the flavour and perhaps the experience of going and having a meal with my partner at the pub or at the at the restaurant. And so I think it's I would I would argue with those people to say that it should remain the way it is. Uh, I guess the the design of these products should be as close to meat as possible because um, it would fit into society a lot easier compared to something. That's you know pink and spiky, for example, which could be so different, um, yes. and would be something that's quite odd. Um,
1: yeah, I agree, and particularly for the masses, and for, and particularly for people that are maybe not creative with you know nuts and beans, um, or you know don't like them. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I like to encourage nutritionists. I'm a nutritionist myself, but mm. I like to encourage people to think of big impacts and big scale if you know if everyone replaces a hamburger with a meat replacement burger mm. that's going to be a massive impact on a global
0: scale yeah 100 yeah. percent and when you can see yeah. some of those um i guess impacts and stats it's great to um hopefully realize those one day so
1: yeah let's see it's the development continues so yeah
0: that's uh, right and with that development I mean, we
1: have this, yeah. well, you go if we have this chat in ten years'
0: time, I'm curious where we are. You're probably munching on a uh, <laughs> on a cultivated meat burger. That's right, and that's what will happen. Is though perfect words that came out of your mouth were the you know the constant development, and that's where we'll see those changes in nutritional profiles. You know, for things like when we talk about salt and cholesterol and and high sugar, it's like well, that's we've already got the baseline, you know, physical product, but then we just have to f- fix some of those manufacturing or producing. Issues, then we've got something that could most likely be healthier, perhaps, um, than a meat um, alternative compared to an actual meat product, you know, of, of a high fat variety. Um.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, again, you know, it's, I know it's, it is sensitive and it is mm. a processed food. Um, but, you know, you can imagine that um, I also expect there will be more in, um, innovation towards intermediate products, so partly meat and partly um, other ingredients such as beans and nuts. Mm. Um, Or, yeah, have products that have very limited um, additions, additives, um, and are very, maybe very 100% based on nuts and and beans and whatsoever, Um, definitely that will continue.
0: Was there so you mentioned the meat substitutes as well as some um, I guess behavior based projects? Is there any other um, behavior projects you'd like to discuss today, or, or that you can think yeah, of? Yeah. So
1: I'm, what I noticed, and and I'm I'm in touch with them also for your listeners that are interested in this. So in so in the area of social and behavior change, um, I can really see that organizations like um, the World Food Program, UNICEF um USAID, they are also moving towards um, behavioral science and behavior change in their programs. Um so for me that's also um, yeah an opportunity to help them meet their mission and their goals. Mm. Um, and that's that's behavior change in a completely different context, right? So that's that's in a context where um people have much less choice than most of us do in australia most of us i just want to stress that Mm. Uh, um so that's in in developing countries um yeah mostly Uh, so that's international projects Mm.
0: and how do you how do you go with your timelines on those are you up, up late late at night or early in the morning to try get some of these into these meetings or are you just you work on your own timeline
1: yeah, so that I'm I'm branching out to that world, and I'm just starting. Uh, so I just yeah, I just want to share that that's that's also a great opportunity for um, people working in the area of nutrition and with an interest and, and expertise in behaviour. Um, and with those organisations, it takes a long while to establish those relationships. So I'm just um, there will be projects, I guess, early next year. Um, but, yeah, Australia doesn't work to, to our advantage. So the, the, the key thing that I do is I try to focus on the Asia-Pacific region. That makes the time difference a little bit less, um, definitely,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's quite – uh, I've done, you know, uh, enough international travel, I would say, uh, as uh, being in a, in a family when I was growing up. But I think in the, within the last three years, and, and especially when you're, you're so focused with your time on a PhD, you kind of forget that the rest of the world exists out there and um there is so much you know innovation or people in dif- different industries or institutions that have some of these like you said before not reinventing the wheel like some of these ideas um but i think maybe even in my own thinking um i'm quite limited to just the people that are around me or the people that i know that can connect me to others whereas part of the research project that i'm doing at the moment um we're reaching out to hospitals around the world who have managed their food waste and i managed to get onto... I had an interview this morning with people in America and... Yeah, and I was calling some people on Skype, I think, last night. Um, You can use, like, Skype credits and actually call a a landline. Yes. And um, it was so funny to have these British people pick up the line and be like, you know, hello, what can I do for you? And I was like, you don't even know who I am. Like, I'm just calling from the other side of the world. And they, you know, it was... They must just think, who is this person on the other end of the phone? Whereas you know, they're still there doing all that stuff just on another part of the day, or it was quite fascinating to kind of be reconnected just through that one phone call um, to the rest of the world. It's just, it's all happening out there because we spend so much time online. You don't really, I guess, physically interact with it on the phone or in person. Yeah, I
1: know. And I think that's, for people who are interested in a a consulting career or working as a consultant, I, I suppose, there's, that's one of the silver linings of the pandemic. The um, acceptance, acceptance of working remotely and, you know, on Teams, on Skype, um, or calling via Skype to phones. It's so much more acceptable, and it's also so much more acceptable to have project partners or collaborators. Um, yeah, I hope that continues, definitely, mm. and, um, and the second, thing, the second thing I want to say about it, definitely what you say is it's, it's very, um, yeah, I would like to encourage everyone to, to stay in touch with other uh, people, professionals or organisations um, outside of Australia, just to stay inspired and connected.
0: Mm. And some of the, you know, these issues that we're dealing with or trying to solve, you know, particularly in your own work as well, they're issues that affect everyone. And it's not just local to, you know, our community or our state or territory or country. So they're they're all out there to be solved. You have um, have a number of project archives on your website there, um, Annette. I'd love for you to explain in detail, you know, one of the ones that you thought was a great project or something that you really enjoyed working on, um, if you want to reflect on one of those as well. Ooh, which one are you looking at? Oh, there's so many. So we had – we've actually, we've touched on, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, the meat substitutes. Um, yes. There was one there on uh, a food waste. So that's, a, that's a personal, I guess, area of mine, which I know a bit about, so we won't spend some time on that. But we've got, like, meal replacements, the eat less plate, texture-modified food, and also the Australian fruit business. Um, did you want to or even healthy and sustainable food behaviours in general
1: yeah no I think um, yeah the medical nutrition or the texture modified foods one was yeah it was also a project that was very inspiring uh, um, um, that was for an aged care organisation in Australia in Adelaide sorry and um, we um, I worked with the, um, the chef who um, Fitis Kudoi is his name, and who was implementing um, molecular gastron- gastronomy uh, in, in the facility mm. uh, and creating uh, better texture modified foods. And I was involved to make sure that that was uh, done in an evidence-based way. So we did research um, and, um, and, yeah, we did actually more. We involved the staff, we involved the residents, and um, ultimately, ultimately that led to the Better Practice Awards and Innovation Awards. And that was very, that, that's a project that's very dear to me um, because it was so, we often don't see an instant impact when we talk about it. we started that conversation about impact and, um, and that was very satisfying and very gratifying to, to see um, as you, as, as, you as, as a dietitian, of course, know much better than I do, but to see people interacting with something that really looks similar to normal foods mm. um, and enjoy that, but also talking about foods, which was part of that project as well. So, um, yeah, that's something that I, uh, I definitely want to highlight. It was a very, uh, very, uh, very nice project.
0: And I think it's also something that people can be quite disconnected from if you think about you know all of us here we've all come from a mum and a dad um and they perhaps may end up in one of these organizations one day where and they may have some impact of or nutrition uh deficiency or uh, perhaps a something that affects their ability to intake nutrition and these innovations can really support them to you know Enjoy a meal still, or and stay alive for longer, and, and be healthy. Um, and so, I really like those innovations.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the innovation as such was really interesting. And, and um, again, it won an award um, because it was very novel. But also for me, as a researcher slash consultant, so I did that from that project from a consultant uh, capacity. But as most of your listeners might know or can imagine, doing research in such a setting is, is, is really hard. Um, not only because of the residents, but also the staff that is very um, limited in time and you know doesn't really necessarily understand why we're doing this, why mm. we're working um, and trying to measure stuff. Um, we did a co-creation approach in which we really gave people with early dementia voice and talk about food which was not something that did regularly so it was very much a very pleasant and bonding uh, experience so besides the project like what you say you know it's very in- innovative um, i think also that the the, the the project process was very innovative
0: mm. yeah And so, what about now? So, what's something you've seen recently in food innovation which has surprised you or perhaps even scared you?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure when I'm scared (laughs) that easily. Oh. Well, no. What's... Is there anything that surprises me? No, I'm interested going back to the meat replacement. I'm interested where the journey of, of um, cultivated meat uh, will will go to. Mm. Um, because as we know that um, growing meat in a petri dish is is gonna be very interesting for my uh, taste and, and texture perspective. It's gonna be, you know, probably very very close close to the actual one meat from an animal experience Mm. but of course there are also challenges in terms of scaling up the production making sure it's environmentally friendly so i'm curious i look at that from uh, from curiosity definitely and um and yeah there is another example that uh, surprises me more in a negative way is all the um We did some research while I was with Union Zay on uh, meal replacement drinks mm. um, that you see in the gym. And 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 uh, I look at it from you know, that's one of the beauty as a consumer researcher, is this you can have that observer role. So I look at it without any judgment or whatsoever and they mm. have their place. But food is so much more like, you know, the chewing and also the experience of Cooking and smells and everything.
0: So for me, that's a really weird development. Yeah. I've got two comments on those. So I really, my partner's asked me. She said, you know, if you, if I was to grow, uh, you know, a beef patty in the lab, would you eat it? And I was like, yeah, I would. Like, you know, if no one's had to, um, you know, perish, um, and it was something that was, you know perhaps carbon neutral or carbon negative um yep. it would be a very intense process i'm I, no doubt currently and the, obviously the price is very very expensive i think as they stand now but when that comes yes. to perhaps you know the more innovation that is in development in that space that would be something that i would consume because i hate yep. bugs i'm so scared of leaving ants and stuff and i'm like i don't want to eat those the crunch the the oh, it just it just really um you know, perhaps I might eat it in a meal replacement shake, you know, blended up crickets, but not a um I wouldn't be crunching on a cricket leg or anything out of a bag, which I've seen you know it's either some of those products, and so um and then interestingly, on the side of like as a sports dietitian, um you know those meal replacement shakes come in so handy for those people who come out of an intense workout session and they don't have the appetite to consume. Um, yep. uh, a food and so they have their, their, their certain I guess populations that they mo- may serve more than someone who is concerned of uh, smell, taste and texture they're just like I need to get nutrition in and, yep. and get to my recovery station or something like that and so I really like how food innovation and nutrition and how they work together as well as you know, sustainability to create some of these um, innovations that are going forward
1: yeah, and it's interesting. I'm listening to you and it's interesting how those things can sit and, and, and be together in a society, right? So you can have cooking programmes on television and maybe heading to the gym while you drink a, a shake and listen to a podcast about cooking. Yeah. Um that, that contrast is really fascinating and that that's also what I love about foods. But um yeah, so um Absolutely, they have that place. So I say that without any, um, but I think it fascinates me that, that contrast between Mm. recognizing the the enjoyment that food can bring and cooking generally, but also that we can flip it towards we're in a rush or, you know, you drink a smoothie in the morning and off you go on Mm. public transport and um, they coexist.
0: Yeah, and I can think back. You've made me think about. I think I was in grade three or four. We had to do a speech every year. We had to do like um, public speaking, and I think my mum and I wrote this speech, and it was like one of the. I was like, "What's the future going to look like?" And one of the things was like having breakfast in a pill, and you know, I think about that now as like a dietitian, or you know, even talking about today, and it's like it would just completely defeat the purpose of. Some some of the reasons why we consume food, you know, socialness and like you said, the smell, um, obviously feeling full and not feeling hungry, like those physiological and social responses would just be thrown out the door, and we would just be yes. like, you know, two panadol, but be, you, your breakfast is done, you know.
1: Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that's that. You've got those um, vegetable pills, etc. They, mm. you know, they're very concentrated. Yeah. That's,
0: that's interesting but um, so yeah so you did write that ages ago I yeah know, here you are that's, that's right it's quite funny isn't it how it all works out yeah now as a PhD student looking at food waste I'd love to hear your perspectives I guess on, on this problem um, people often ask me even before I started the PhD they said you know why don't you go into the household rather than the food service and I thought well I have no experience in behaviour change or knowing what the community house looks like, my experience as a dietitian can help me understand this problem more in the food service. That's why I went down that route. But I yeah. think looking into the, you know, the near and far future, I think um, having impacts in the household is probably a great place to start due to the amount of food that we do waste there. Um, what, what are your perspectives on some of the solutions or, or some of the problems we're facing at the moment with this food waste issue?
1: The food waste issue is huge <laughs> and I think like the work you're doing is so worthwhile because the the big organizations uh, you know we can't we can't say it's you know we should focus on households or we should focus on um, hospitality settings or we should focus on companies we need to do it all mm. so that's the first thing um, and each of those fields need to have their own approaches and expertise so that's yeah that's That's the first thing I want to say about it. With um, household food waste, um, and you've spoken to Mark and he finished his PhD, um, so he's really the expert on that. Um, But uh, yeah, I think what he highlighted as well is that there needs to be much more focus on understanding uh, the social dynamics and the social context in the household and, and to go beyond providing just knowledge or education or raising awareness, as we all know, with a lot of different types of behaviors, definitely food behaviors. Just having being aware or knowing something doesn't translate to, to behavior. And there are all sorts of different types of innovations uh, possible in that space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've just um, I, when I came back from that conference last week, I actually met Ronnie, who um, runs Oz Harvest, and she gave yes. me uh, one of the, one of Mark's Use It Up tapes. And, yes, that, yes. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Beautiful. And I've got that yeah. in, in my cupboard in, and in my fridge. And, you know, I see it every day now, you know, three, four, five times a day. And so it's great to be able to see some of that innovation in my own house.
1: Yeah, no, that that, that was a great project uh, by Mark and Oz Harvest. Um, and it also shows that sometimes solutions or innovations, you know, we think of something futuristic. Mm. But it can be... S- Simple, it's you know a piece of tape. Yeah, that's right. And just being very clear on uh, the action that the person needs to take, or you know um, what it means, and it changes routines and habits. So, yeah, definitely, there's so much to do there, and you know it starts with the whole production to consumption chain, and each of you know every step we need to consider food waste. What can we do differently? Um, ideally, of course, we prevent. Food waste from the start, so from the paddock to the plate. So we, and and I think um, that's where we can make um, big achievements and, and and progress further. But it's also a mentality shift for everyone in the production and consumption chain to to be aware of the value of food
0: mm.
1: and also the value of food waste. And
0: uh, we can't afford to continue like this mm. I'd love to just explore just before we get to the f- final couple of questions about consultancy and how that kind of works do you, do you promote yourself in any way and then obviously you do on LinkedIn and things like that and people reach out to you or do you reach out to, to others and say what can I do for you
1: um, it's a combination Mm. yeah it's a combination of both I think people who are interested in a consulting career or want to advance that further um, it really also depends on your um, the organisations you want to work with are you more focused on not-for-profits or are you focused more on the commercial sector um, and the not-for-profits or more governments are much more relation-based, but also they have formal processes, like tender processes or call to tenders, or um, they have a consulting, uh, consulting, a pool of consultants that you need to first apply to get in the pool. And then once you're in the pool, you, um, you can access um, a certain project. Um, other not-for-profits work a bit more Formally, but they do tend to tender. But if you work in a commercial setting, it's it's also based on relationship. But it's 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 yeah, it's often much faster, um, and um, you have to yeah you have to be on top of it. So while now moving more to not for profit and uh, the for good companies or organizations, um, it is a combination of both. So reaching out, staying on the radar, but also being aware of those official processes such as
0: tenders, tender announcements and cause of databases databases. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: Sure. <laughs>
0: now, well, before we finish up and I've got a, now um, I like to use some of the time at the end of the podcast to talk uh, you know more personally because you are still you know as, as much as you are an expert in, in what you do you're still a person that is walking around and, and doing her own life so you know what is happening outside of your consultancy and academic career at the moment is there anything um you know g- going on exciting yes
1: there's always exciting stuff i live in the blue mountains um so what excites me is actually nature and being in nature um, and I think also due to COVID and the pandemic, um, I think you know we felt so blessed. We actually moved to the Blue Mountains during that time, um, and um, so yeah, that's 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 yeah, that's a key source of joy for me. So to, mm. to, to that's that's maybe it sounds very boring for other people, no. but for me it's very exciting. Yeah, just to walk out of our house and just do a nice walk and. Uh, uh, we, we just came back from um, a lunch walk and we saw two black uh, cockatoos. Well, here
0: you have it. That made my day. That was my excitement. Well, my next question was going to be, have you encountered any, you know, odd Australian wildlife being up in the mountains? But there you go. You do straight away. Out of lunchtime, you've seen some um, some black cockatoos. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, what else? Um, I think I, I, I lead a very simple life. I would say I enjoy, uh, you know, hanging out with friends and doing my exercise, um, reading, cooking when I have time, and uh, yeah, that's that's a bit who I am.
0: That's yeah. great. Thank you so much for sharing. And are you what? Are you anything in particular that you're reading at the moment?
1: Um. Oh, that's, that's maybe a very bad habit. Like you're listening to different books at the same time. I'm um, I'm listening to... So that's, that's Audible. So that's a book that I listen to, actually. Um, that's Good Habits and Bad Habits from Professor Wendy Woods. She's a psychologist and quite well-known in the behavior change um, area. And that book was on my list already for a long while. Um, and... Uh, she actually uh, does the uh, the talking, so she's actually the um, the author and the speaker, and uh, she's yeah she's very uh, inspiring and very nice to listen to. So I can really recommend
0: that. Yeah, great. I've just written that down. I always love a good book recommendation. So thank you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> here
0: you go. And the very last question I like to uh, ask my list, uh, sorry, my guests is uh, an ideal. What's an ideal day for? Annette Hook or Hoek, however you like to say. So, for example, um, you know, some people have had cooked a big lunch with all their friends and family. Uh, some persons have been surfing in the morning and skiing in the afternoon. Some, it's been their wedding day, you know, who aren't married yet. What, what would your ideal day look like from the moment you wake up? What would you be doing in that day?
1: Oh, lovely. Um, I'm in the outback. I'm in, in the bush and uh, we're doing a road trip and i'm in the middle of nowhere uh, just with the tent and uh, our car and um, at the start of a um, beautiful hike um, in which we know where we need to go but there will also be surprises and it's a nice day it's it's sunny it's warm but not too hot and i feel very rested and um, and uh, i will just let me my... Surpri- be surprised by the, what the day brings. That's that's my ideal day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. And are you are you heading further inland, or are you heading out uh, to this to the sea We're on your road trip?
1: Inland, yeah. So that um, vision I have of the ideal day is actually based on a real experience day. So I was very fortunate to have a um, to take a bit of a sabbatical and do a road trip a couple of years ago. Um, and that was actually inland. Um, um, yeah, it's too hard to explain where it was. That's all right. It was, uh, South Australia <laughs> up north um, in a national park. So, uh, yeah.
0: Beautiful. And so, did you, um, before I let you go, so just to understand a bit further, so you were in SA before you went to the Blue Mountains, or did you move around a bit, um, or you went straight I- from. Um, yeah, I
1: moved apart, around a bit. So I was in Australia, in Adelaide for seven years, and then we moved to Sydney. Uh, I was closer to the city then, and then two years ago, I moved to the mountains.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I just want to say thank okay. you so much for coming on uh, this afternoon, spending some time with me, and that's been wonderful to to learn a bit more about you, and professionally and personally. And and I hope the listeners have um, learned a bit more about consultancy and and how that fits into nutrition and health policy going forward.
1: Thanks so much uh, for having me, Nathan. And uh, yeah, everyone, anyone listening who's interested, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn or Twitter. And um, if I can help, just let me know.
0: To finish off, as always, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it, as this is a passion of mine. Don't forget to leave a review, it helps other people find the show. And please share this episode on your social media or tell a friend to continue spreading the message of cooking goals. You can sign up to our weekly email by clicking the link in the description of this episode and follow our Instagram at the Cooks Community. Until next time, remember to breathe.